Well, before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitsheno b'mitzvotam v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, tonight I want to talk about what you could call the Shema anointing. The anointing upon our life that's connected with listening to the Lord and doing what he says. You know, the, the Shema is one of the central prayers of Jewish life. And it, it says, hear, O Israel, or listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But I want to concentrate on just the central idea, which is listening to the Lord. It's possible to listen to the Lord. It's possible to hear from the Lord. In fact, if it weren't for that capacity, the scriptures would not even exist. Because the word of the Lord came to various people, to Moses, to the prophets of Israel, to the chroniclers of Israel, the psalmists of Israel. And that word was able to be uh, written down for our benefit. And so this idea, listen, is, um, it's a command in a sense. You listen to God. And it pre it's the first part of the greatest commandment, listen to the Lord. And the second part of the great commandment is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. And it's interesting to me that in order to love God, you need to listen to God. Anyone who's ever raised children knows something about this, that there are times when it seems like you want your kids to express their love by listening. And it's not just letting the audible sound waves come into their ears, but you want it to go into their ears and then into their head so that they can forget it immediately. Now, so that they can do something with what they hear. The Shema anointing, the anointing and the blessing that we experience because we have fellowship with the Lord. This is so essential. It's not because you're religious enough. Um, you'll never be religious enough to be justified before God or reconcile to God, because religious behavior by itself won't do it. God is looking for a clean and pure relationship, and it requires that anything that separates us from God is addressed. That's why we confess our sins to God. And that's why we need Messiah Yeshua. We need the sacrifice of Messiah, the sacrifice we couldn't provide, so that there is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We need this, but we also need the promise of the new covenant, which is that we will have a personal relationship with God, that each one of us, men and women, young and old, will know the Lord in an intimate and personal way. It's not enough to know about God, but to know him well. And so there's an anointing and blessing that we can experience because we're having fellowship with the Lord. And because we spend time with him, 
and we're learning his word. You know, some people read the Bible and they say, I'm, I'm, I've read the whole thing, now I'll do something else. But the scripture teaches us that the Bible itself is active and alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can separate soul from spirit, and it can judge the matters of the heart. And that the word can equip us, and that the word is, is full of useful personal direction for us. And we want to look at that today as we examine the life of Isaac. Um, it's important for us to spend time with God and to listen to his word and to put into practice the instructions that he gives us. Usually in a group like this, there are two kinds of people. Those that, when it comes to assembling something new or using a new gadget, read the instructions, and those that don't. How many are like me? You don't want to read the instructions. You want it to be designed in such a way it should be obvious what you do. Right? And if they didn't design it that way, they, it's, it's on them. Right? <laughs> However, there are times when you have to read the instructions. Right? Yeah, you, hopefully you did not break it. But it turns out that life is one of those things that requires an instruction book. And it's not so simple as do this thing, do this thing, do this thing, and then you're done. It's not something that can be contained in a three-page document or an international graphic that's obvious to everyone who just looks. The scripture is rather long. There are many books, and each page and each word has value and meaning, and so we are to be students of the scripture. But... It's not just that. It's not just to study. It's not just to learn. It's in order to live. And you and I have um, a personal life of faith that connects us to Abraham and Sarah and to their descendants. We are faithful to God so that the blessings of Israel and the promises of God can be fulfilled in our life and passed on to others, including our children and our grandchildren and those that we come into contact with. So I want to start by looking at Genesis chapter 26, the first five verses. And it's always useful if you've read this material before we start, because we're just going to look at excerpts. And it's also good if you read it last year. And it's also good if you read it the year before. And if you read it even before that. And if you've been reading and reading, sometimes people get tired of reading the same stuff, but then they've lost sight of what the Bible says about itself, that it's active and alive. And I have found that at the times when I least expect it sometimes, something new and lively and timely comes to me as I'm reading the scriptures. How many have had that experience? You've read the same passage over and over again, and then it's alive to you. Or you found something in the Bible you didn't even know was in the Bible that was useful. 
I like when that happens. Genesis 26, verse 1, a famine came over the land, not the same as the first famine. Okay, without looking any further, do you know what the first famine was? It explains when Abraham was alive. That, that was the first famine. So this is connecting um, the famine that Abraham experienced, which is an really an instructive episode for us because God told Abraham, leave his country, move to this new country, and I'm gonna guide you there. Abraham gets there and then there's a famine. So when you say I wanna be um, a son or a daughter of Abraham and Sarah, know what you're getting into. God can be uh, a little bit tricky sometimes. He can use unusual means in order to um, develop and mature us. This is not the same famine. This is a different famine. And Isaac went to Gerar to, as you say in the south, Abimelech or Avimelech. <laughs> Sometimes I try to imagine southerners meeting people in heaven and calling them by their southern name and just wondering how that would play out. To Avimelech, the king of the, um, of the Philistines. Verse two, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, now that's an interesting idea. The Lord appeared and said. It's interesting because it means that the Lord became visible and could be seen by Isaac. That's what Torah says. Now there are, Certain parts of the Jewish world that don't believe that this could be true because th there's, there's a direction of Judaism that thinks that God is purely invisible and spiritual and he has no ability to enter into the, the material world that we live in. But Torah says otherwise. So if you're a Torah-believing Jew, regardless of whether you're Messianic or not, if you think the Torah is true, you would have to reckon with this. God appeared. He appeared to Isaac and he said, oh, now here's another problem, God speaks. Now in this day and age, if you go around and you tell people God was talking to me, God said this, you know, some people may think you need medical help. But maybe not. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down into Egypt, but live where I tell you. Stay in the land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. This is fascinating because if Isaac were simply to follow what he thought was the correct pattern of faithfulness that his father Abraham had demonstrated, he could have concluded, when there's a famine, what do you do? You go to Egypt. Because that was the only thing he knew, because that's what his father did at the direction of the Lord. But the key is, you don't just follow that pattern, because that has only one data point, right? Here's another data point. Don't go to Egypt. Okay, now you know it's not an issue of going to Egypt or not going to Egypt. There's a bigger issue at stake here. Live where I tell you. 
That's fascinating. How many have ever found themselves having to move somewhere for spiritual reasons that represented then challenges to you and your comfort and your familiarity? You, you move from one place to another because the Lord had a plan for you. Don't go down into Egypt, but live where I tell you. Live where I tell you. Stay in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. That's an interesting promise and an interesting instruction because there are reasons to leave such a place. There's a famine going on. How are you going to feed yourself? How are you going to take care of yourself? Stay in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. That's the instruction. Because I will give all these lands to you and to your descendants, I will fulfill the promise that I made to Abraham your father. Here's the promise. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give all these lands to your descendants. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will bless themselves. Three-part blessing and promise here. All this is because Avraham, he did what I said and did what I told him to do. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. He trusted the Lord. He believed God, not just in his heart, but with his life. Because he trusted the Lord, he did what the Lord told him to do. He followed my commands, my regulations, and my instructions. So I want to point out some things. Isaac is having fellowship with God. He's got a close relationship and it involves several things that may not be obvious until you hear them. It involves prayer, talking to the Lord. He's talking to the Lord. But it also involves listening. He's listening to the Lord. And these are two parts that go together that form a relationship. It's hard to have a relationship if you never communicate to another person. Many women say that their husbands don't tell them what they're thinking or how they're feeling. And one of the, one of the common complaints is that women don't know what's going on inside their man. And they want to know, tell me. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands right now. <laughs> but in, in communication, there are two parts. There's active expression of communication, and there's active receptive communication. We have to speak, and we have to listen. Now, interestingly, God also does the same. God speaks and God listens. Who hears our prayers? God. Are you sure? Yes. You really believe that? Yes. Oh, come on. You don't believe that. No, you do believe it. It's true. So you're not just talking to the air, and you're not just talking in a way that makes you feel better because you said something. 
No, you're talking to someone who listens, who interacts with you, and someone who can speak to you. So Isaac's fellowship with the Lord, his close relationship with God, involved both prayer, talking to the Lord, and listening to the Lord. I remember a time in my life when I was praying very consistently every morning. One of the first things that I would do, and I'd sit down and have my devotions, and I would just talk and talk. And there was a certain moment where I felt the, the Lord said something to me like this, And then I understood he wanted me to be quiet. That was really hard because I, I had stuff to say. Have you ever been in need or worry or something and you've got to talk about it? Well, I was in that condition. So I was talking to the Lord and the Lord's response was, shh, be quiet. And I tried to be quiet. I could be quiet for up to 30 seconds. And during that time, I felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to listen to me. But you'll have to get quiet for that. And I understood something. As I, w I actually would look at my watch and it's like, wow, I could not go longer than 30 seconds. And then I started talking again. And if I didn't talk, my mind started wandering. I don't know if any of you have had this kind of experience where I'm trying to be spiritually focused on God, but I'm thinking about my calendar, my to-do list. I'm thinking about the squirrel that's running across the grass. I'm easily distracted. And I went through this um, for days that turned into weeks of devotional time. But as I tried to respond to what the Lord said, I found I could be quiet for like a minute, and then I could be quiet even longer. And there was a certain point where I realized the noise in my soul is no longer tormenting me. And I had quietness in my soul. And I could come to the Lord, I could talk to him, and then I could be quiet. And then he could speak to my spirit, and I could hear. It was life-changing to go through that process. And if you've ever been so busy in your mind and in your life and the way that you're, you're made, you may need a quiet down period, too, in order to hear. prayer and listening. But there's another part. God's word comes to Isaac. He receives God's word. God's instruction comes to Isaac. He receives instruction from the Lord. And also we see that Isaac takes to heart what the Lord says. He doesn't forget it. He doesn't dismiss it. He focuses on it. And then he puts it into action. He puts into action the instruction of the Lord. You see, each of these is working together in Isaac's life. Um, you can read the passage again and, and, and focus on the situation and the details, and you'll see something altogether different. You'll see there's a famine, 
It creates a need, what to do, um, and it could create a, a memory. What did we do before? What did my father do? What did he tell me he did? Um, you, you may think, and Isaac may have thought, well, the circumstances are similar, the situation is similar, so my response should be similar to his response. But if he was focusing on the wrong aspect of the response, which is what did he do, he may have missed that Abraham heard from the Lord what to do. And he heard where to live, and he did that. And so, he had to learn that lesson. It's important, we can see, to have an open heart and an open mind, ears that are open spiritually and eyes that are open spiritually. And we can ask this question, why, why is this kind of openness necessary? And I think the, the simple answer is this, it's necessary in order to receive guidance and counsel from the Lord, because we wouldn't otherwise recognize that we need direction from the Lord. Sometimes what seems obvious to us is not really the most important thing. It may be unimportant. If we do what we already know how to do the way we already know how to do it, that may not apply in a new situation that to us looks the same, but to God is not the same. And it takes that fellowship with the Lord to have openness where the Lord can say, this is not the same as that. So don't do what you did. If Abraham went down to Egypt in a famine, it doesn't mean Isaac goes down in a famine. If Israel leaves Egypt in order to get freedom, it doesn't mean that Israel leaves Persia in order to get freedom from Haman. Different situations that may appear to be similar call for different actions. And this is why it's necessary to talk. And anyone who's married can discover this. If you just guess and you don't talk things out and you don't have good communication where you confirm with each other that you understand together something, um, you can have a lot of heartache, you can have a lot of problems. So we want to have fellowship with the Lord. We want to be spiritually open in order to receive guidance. Because what's the point of giving guidance if you're not going to do anything with it? What's the point of sitting in a car and steering, turning the steering wheel, if you haven't put the key in the ignition? And if you haven't turned it on, if you're not going anywhere, does it really matter if you turn this way or you turn that way? No, it's only when you're moving forward that you really need guidance. Now, we don't want to fall into either of two extremes. One extreme is this. I can make all my own decisions without any guidance from God. I will just use my God-given intelligence, and that's all I need. But that can lead to independence from God, which is a root sin. And when we think that we can actually make all the quality decisions we need to make just on the basis of our intellect, then we have forgotten the great commandment to love the Lord with all your heart first, soul, strength, and mind. 
For some people, loving God with their heart is, is very hard. For others, loving God with their mind is very hard. But we're called to love God with all of our capacities, with our emotions, with our intellect, but with our hearts as well. Now the other extreme is, could be expressed like this, I don't make any decision without guidance from God. And that can become super spirituality, where you can't decide what you're gonna have for breakfast until you've prayed and heard from the Lord. You can't do your homework. You can't take out the trash until you're moved by the Spirit. That's super spirituality, and it's a kind of juvenile condition. Now, let's go to the Haftor portion for a minute, uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 4, which I want to focus on the affirmation of God's covenant with Levi, with Levi. It's a declaration, then you will know that I sent you this command in order to affirm my covenant with Levi, with Levi. Says Adonai Tzavot, the Lord of hosts. Verse five, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave him these things. So what are the two qualities identified here? Life and peace. And what's the source of those? God. God said, I gave him both of these. And then it goes on. It was also one of fear. And he feared me. He was in awe of my name. So it included fear, but it wasn't fear of circumstances. It wasn't fear of difficulty or situations. It was fear of the Lord. So Levi was in awe of my name, the Lord says. And that was not God's part, that was Levi's part. He cultivated a sense of awe towards God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and he developed that. It's something that you can develop, the fear of the Lord. You can nurture it, you can increase in your fear of God, your awe of God. And then it goes on, the true Torah was in his mouth and no dishonesty was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from sin. That's really an interesting statement. Not only did he have personal integrity, not only was his spiritual life um, outwardly something, it was peaceful, it was upright. Not only was it internally something, but it benefited other people in a way that God highly valued. He turned many away from sin. So he functioned as a priest in this way. He helped people who were separated from God because of their sin make teshuvah, which means to change direction, to turn away from the direction they're going in, which is towards sin and away from God, and make a turnaround and go in the direction of God, leaving the sin. Now some people, their sin has taken them far away from God. Some people's sin has taken them just a little bit away, but what they share in common is that they're going in a direction away from God. 
And honestly, it's better to have been far away and turned to God than to have been close but turned away from God because your directions are different. Even the person far away comes near. But the person who was close, who's turned away from God, every day they get further and further away from God. He turned many away from sin. This is part of the priesthood. And then verse seven. A Kohen's lips, or the lips of a priest, should safeguard knowledge. And people should seek Torah from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You see, the priest is not just going through ritual or through religious activity. He's a guardian of knowledge and he's helping people turn to God, turn away from sin, and then he is to give pure knowledge, not just his experience, but what the scripture says, what Torah says. He has a word for the people. People should seek Torah from his mouth. The word of the Lord, the instruction from God's word. He's a messenger. He has a message that another one has given him. So this helps us understand if we're called to be a nation of priests, as descendants of Israel and as members of Yeshua's body, then we have to understand priesthood. It requires a heart like Levi. It requires action like he took. And it requires of us that we dedicate ourselves to the fear of the Lord. That we cultivate that in ourselves and nurture it in ourselves. Now I want to close by looking at a passage from the Gospels, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And it goes back to the idea of fellowship and close relationship, that Isaac was having fellowship with the Lord, but also Levi was having fellowship with the Lord. And it's impossible to do what Levi or Levi was doing without fellowship from the Lord, fellowship with the Lord. It is not possible. In the same way, it's not possible for you or for me to simply study rules and regulations or to try to master Jewish traditions or ways. We have to spend time in fellowship with the Lord and cultivate a a heart of awe and cultivate a listening ear and cultivate spiritual eyes that are open to see and cultivate a, a heart that's willing to put into practice the things that God shows us. Now Yeshua speaks to all of this in John 15. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. Find your home in me and let my home be in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So that's another picture. So neither can you unless you abide in me. 
You can't do it on your own. Cut a branch off, set it to the side, and see what happens. It will wither. It will not bear fruit. Verse 5, Yeshua says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. That's who you are. It's good for us to know who's who. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we are the do-nothings without the Lord. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. Dry wood. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's interesting. Making a home for what God speaks. Then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And how can that be? It's a transformative process where what you wish, what you desire, changes. If you abide in the Lord, his desires become your desires. When you fellowship with the Lord and you hear from him and then you do what he says, your heart changes. You become different. You have the capacity because you've been born from above. You've been raised from the dead. You have resurrection life at work in you. It's not just a dead man walking now. It's not just you trying to control yourself. It's you being led by the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, being alive in the Spirit and being made new in Yeshua. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this so that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now it's important to understand the antecedent of the phrase by this. The antecedent is this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's the condition. If you do that, then you can ask. And if you ask, having done that, then my Father's glorified because you'll bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples in this way. Some people turn this around into a, um, a self-centered spirituality where a person's desires, even their lusts, become what they boss God around with. I want this, I want that. Give me this, give me that. But this is talking about something very different. Verse nine, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. One of the ways that um, healing takes place in our lives is by abiding in the love of the Lord. And paying attention to that and spending time. If you keep my instructions, you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that, look at this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. That's why I'm telling you this. God is wanting to 
change us and to change our lives and to give us joyful lives that can really function in any kind of circumstance. In the circumstance of, of Isaac, for instance, if you read this week's Torah portion, you'll see that Isaac lived in crazy times and under crazy circumstances. He had family difficulties. Uh, he had, his wife had a very difficult pregnancy. It almost killed her. He lived in a tough neighborhood with neighbors who really didn't like him and were hostile to him. He lived first with great economic success and then after with great economic difficulty. He went from being a farmer to being a man living in a famine. Not easy. He had his ups and downs. His circumstances and situations were challenging. However, he had life and he had peace and he had the blessings of God and he continued the purposes that God had not just for him but for Abraham. Not just for him and Abraham but for their children and their grandchildren all the way down through the generations to us. He held on to the purposes not just for his family but for the whole world that God would use such people to be a blessing to every family and nation on the earth. That's what he gave his life to. That's what he lived for. And that's what God is promising to us, that we can be participants in that high calling of God that touches us personally, it touches our families, it touches our ancestry and our descendants as well. It touches the people we know and it touches people throughout the world. That's what we're called to be a part of. That's the high calling that we hold on to. And when we hold on to that, you know what? When God says, stay put, you stay put. And when you say, but what about the famine? He says, I'll take care of you. And you say, okay, I know you can do it. If he says, go this way or go that way, you say, yes, sir. You learn to put into action the things that he tells you. My hope and prayer is as we're preparing for Hanukkah that, that we will be preparing for us, in a sense, for that renewal of dedication, for the dedication of our own temples individually and corporately, and that the fire of God to be servants of God and to be blessings to people all around us, to serve the Lord directly and to serve others through the priestly call that we have, uh, that that would be enlivened in us and empowered in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us abundant life. We thank you for giving us new life in Messiah. And we want to use it in the right way. We need guidance from you. We need your word. We need you to speak to our hearts and to our minds. We need open hearts and open ears that, that take in what you have to say and put it into practice. We want to be those who hear and do what you say and thus prove to be wise so that what we build will not be torn down in the storm. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And if you're standing by yourself, if you don't mind moving, 
So you're not alone? Hello, Rabbi. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panave lecha v'ichunecha. Yisa Adonai panave lecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.